I just never say it enough, but I thought back, I had remembrances of a guy who, and a couple actually, who came to me for some help once, and one of the wife's major complaints was, you know, he just never tells me he loves me anymore. And I looked at him and I said, do you love me, wife? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, um, why don't you tell her? And I said, you do love her. He said, yeah. I said, okay, tell her. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In front of you? He said, fuck that's what you do. Tell her whatever. So he turned to her and he said, whatever. And I thought, man, oh man. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that men can't come out of their little turtle shell and express love and devotion for the one who at one point anyway was the deepest object of affection here in this world. That's kind of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And if you've missed those couple of weeks, I would encourage you to get a tape. Uh, Two weeks ago we looked at men who hide and women who keep them hiding. And uh, that was the highest tape order we've ever had. I believe it was because we took an honest look at an issue that's often not dealt with honestly. And then last week we looked at this little thing right here, to husband specifically, just love her. That's all, guys. Ephesians 5. Let's open our Bibles there. Ephesians chapter 5. And to this handcrafted creature that we call our wife, God gave husbands a very specific charge. And it is, in fact, a single charge. Just love her. Ephesians 5 verse 25 it says, Husbands, love your wife. That's it. Now we pointed out last time that that can be a difficult thing sometimes for us guys. And we pointed out a couple of reasons why. One is that every single human being carries with them the flesh. And the flesh, by its nature, always seeks to exalt itself. And so it is only by the power of the Spirit that we begin to conquer the flesh because the flesh only looks out for its own resources. And so the natural tendency for every human being apart from Christ is just to naturally look out for one's own best interests. A second major reason this is so hard is that love is of God. That's what 1 John 4 says. It says God is love and, and love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God. And that tells us that love is not something that you and I have inherently. We've pointed this out before. We can philo love, brotherly love, we can story love, that family love. Uh, we can arao love, which is romantic love. The word's gotten some bad press and turned into physical. It's really not an emphasis of physical, it's really romantic. It's the basic root of the word. But that we have a hard time unconditional loving, agape loving. And that's because that is the nature of God himself. And if that's who God is, we are not. Right? And so that is another reason we need God within us and we need to learn to depend on him and abide in him in order to be able to release his love to us. And we're going to have more to say on that this morning. But there's a third reason, I believe, in terms of the makeup of a man, why this is so hard for a man to express love to his wife. And this is what it is. And I want you to get this today, guys. This is mostly to the men. 
And that is the corruption of our creation characteristics. And you say, what do you mean? Well, keep your finger here and turn back to the very book of beginnings, to the book of Genesis. Now, I know that we spend a lot of time in this book, but it is not without design because we can learn so much about ourselves on the pages of Genesis. Why we tick the way we tick. And I'd like you to look at Genesis 1.28. We read there, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. And watch the key words. And subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said to man there, subdue the world, have dominion over it. And what we can glean from that passage is that God, when he made man, he made him a conqueror. And we like that, man, don't we? We like that Hebrew word, Gabor, warrior. See, that's why Tim Allen is so popular on home improvement, right? You know, that's the idea. We like that kind of stuff. The conquering mentality, the conquering mindset. It's macho, it's masculine. But I want you to home in on chapter 2, verse 15, because we bring another aspect of man's creation characteristics there. And that is that the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. Key words. We know that God not only made man a conqueror, but that God also made man a cultivator. A cultivator of what he conquered. And we find both of those in perfect balance in the man and the woman pre-fall. And I hope you heard the key words. Pre-fall. The fall of man threw man out of balance. And what we had happen was something like this. Conqueror plus the fall means turbo conqueror. And now that's what man is interested in. Is conquer, conquer, conquer. Conquer, excuse me, cultivator plus the fall leads to a terrible cultivator. It's just more growing and cultivating. And I believe it is this issue, this conquering, cultivating mentality that has been thrown out of balance that provides a third major area to the hindrances of man in terms of loving his wife. Now, I want you to run with me with this. Let's take a guy and let's let him uh, pursue a wife. And to stay with the words, I know it's a bad choice of words, but let's run with the choice of words. He conquers a life. He wins her. And for the first several years, it's okay. And he cultivates pretty good. But the restless, out of balance, conquering spirit, coupled with the power of sin and the power of flesh, which seeks to exalt itself, drives man to begin to conquer more, uh, to reach out beyond his boundaries. And ladies, if there's one thing I would impress upon your hearts that I wish you could understand about a man, all a man is is a little boy that grew up. That's it. And where the little boy loves toys, the big boy loves bigger toys. Bigger motorcycles, boats, fancier cars, bigger houses. There's a tremendous commercial on the TV right now that drives this home. You've probably seen it. It's got this father in a shopping store running around his little boy. And the little boy is like, ooh, ooh, ooh. He's trying to grab every toy he sees. And the father's like, no son, no son, no son. And they come around this aisle and there's an Isuzu radio 4x4. Four four. And the dad goes, ooh. That's it. That's the idea. And what happens? And I hope you're on this. 
Men, what you fail to cultivate will fail to produce. It's that simple. If a farmer doesn't cultivate his field, his field yields weeds. And it's the same way in the garden of love called marriage. If you don't cultivate it, it will not prosper. To men, I would say this. If you worked half as hard to keep your wife as you did to win them, we could put an end to divorce and an end to mediocre and menacing marriages. Hurley, in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, put it this way. He said it's like a bank account. And if you have a bank account and all you do is make withdrawals and never make any deposits, you're going to end up bankrupt. And that's the way it is with a lot of marriages. And I want to illustrate this for you, just to show you how this happens. There you have a hubby and a wife. And as you can see here, the dynamic of what's happening, hubby is making his three yearly deposits. That's flowers on her birthday, taking her out to dinner on her anniversary, and gifts at Christmas. Now, some husbands will throw in some flowers at Valentine's Day. But those are basically your four deposits. But look at how many withdrawals hubby is taking as she uh, fixes his meals for him, picks his dirty socks up off the floor, uh, sends the, uh, picks, takes his shirts to the cleaners, and, and all the various things that she does. Many times, as we saw last week, without a thank you, without an encouraging word. And what's happening here is there's an awful lot of withdrawal going on. And I want to share with you what's so easily can happen and prove so devastating. What happens is somebody else comes along and they begin to make some deposits. Oftentimes if the wife is at work or it could be the, uh, the clerk at the grocery store and there's always a kind word. Mind you look so pretty today. Boy, it's, it's so neat to see your smiling face today. And here's the compliment to the company. And what's happening is somebody's making an awful lot of deposit. This person has the added advantage of not having to take too many negatives, too many withdrawals. Because they only see you when you're out in town and you're dressed up. They never see the curlers in your hair. They never see you sick. They never see you with the throw-up from the little kids all over your, your dress. And so what's happening is he's making an awful lot of deposit and very little withdrawal. And I trust you see the bankruptcy that's coming. It's one step away from the fall into sexual sin. And it's no surprise how it happened then. It's no surprise at all. I've talked to women who have fallen into this and they, they, they'll say to me, I don't know how this happened. I, I would never have thought of doing this. So, and I say, yeah, I can see that. But you didn't see the long term of what was going on. Somebody was making more deposit than your hubby. And Hubby was making an awful lot of withdrawal. And he ended up with a bankrupt marriage. This is the tragedy of what can happen. So guys, I would challenge you. And ladies, all oh, ladies, please understand this. It goes both ways. I know we're talking about the husband loving his wife here. But this happens a lot with women. Do you know what the chief complaint I hear from men is? When we had babies... She quit loving me. She got too busy with the kids to express love to me. 
and I feel like a stranger in my own home. It goes both ways. I would challenge you, both of you, make a list, just sit down and make a list of all that you did for that spouse while you were dating and in your first year of marriage. Just sit down and make a list. The cards, the flowers, the phone calls, the, the meeting them for lunch and breakfast and all those kinds of things. And the dates, the nights out. And then take an honest inventory and look at it today and see just how much of it you're still doing. And I think most of us are going to be very surprised. Because what happens is we're in a very busy culture that's demanding so much of our time. And as you add every child to that family union, you just added a lot of time commitment. And what happens is you begin to neglect your marriage. And neglect is the nemesis of your marriage. So the men, you have a very single charge, guys. Just love her. That's all. Just love her. And we want to take that charge today and we want to run with it a little further. Because Ephesians 5 tells us a lot more about just what that means. So before we do that, can we pray together? My Father, I don't know of a person alive who is competent to teach this passage. Because love is from you. And there's not a one of us that really understands it. So Father, we depend completely on you to be our teacher open our eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak truth to each of our hearts because we want to love I really don't believe there's a man or a woman here that is content with the level of their love so you be the teacher and we ask it in Jesus name Amen we said last time that Ephesians chapter 5 is really a very simple passage. There's only one charge given to the husband. It's love your wife. The whole rest of the chapter, the next eight verses, all they are is an illustration, a clarification. In other words, God is saying to you, husband, here's what I want you to do, and here's what I mean. I want you to love your wife now look at Jesus and see how he loves. That's the idea. If you look at Ephesians 5 verse 25, we can see it. Husbands love your wives. Rest of the verse. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Love like Jesus. Over the years, as I have heard numerous messages been to numerous conferences, gone away on um, wedding encounter, marriage encounter weekends with my bride. I have had occasion to hear this passage taught many, many times, so I'm sure you have. Read the books, read the commentaries, and over the years, the predominant explanation of what this means that I have heard, and, and it's a good one, is this. That means that you love her sacrificially. It means that you say no to your own goals, your own dreams, your own desires, your own wants. Dying to yourself to live to her. 
the context, I think, very clearly supports this. If you look at verse 26, it talks about how Jesus sanctified and cleansed the church. And it's a reference, of course, to his atoning work on the cross. But even the verse itself in Ephesians 5.25 says he gave himself for her. A very clear reference to him dying on the cross. And so the charge, as I've heard it over the years, and I'm sure you have too, husband, love your wife. What does that mean? It means you love her sacrificially. Not looking at your own self. Looking supremely at her. Philippians 2 has usually been the cross-reference used when this passage has been taught. Have this same attitude in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who did what? Had no regard for himself, but he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant, becoming obedient, even to death on a cross, dying with others no more. You have this same attitude. And that's the charge. And it's a good one, isn't it? Coupled closely with that is the second charge, that it's a love of no conditions, no expectations. Jesus loved us because he chose to love us. Very clear in the scriptures that there was nothing in us. We, Romans 5 says he loved us while we were yet enemies. And then I've shared this with you before, and I share it with you again with the hope that with repetition you'll get it. Because this is so wonderful. This marvelous revelation of the words of choice that the Holy Spirit used. He did not say, God has love. If, if God had love, it could be something we could choose not to have. You see that? But he chose this little word, is. God is love. It is a word of identity. It is a word of nature. Of being. So God's being is love. And I trust you see the marvel of this, that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to this. God can't change who he is. If he changes who he is, he ceases to be God. Isn't that right? And so we learn that God is that God may love. And so love just emanates from him. And so here is Dirk. He loves you not because of who you are, my friend. He loves you because of who he is. He loves you, Leroy Cox, not because of what you do for him. He loves you because of who he is. And that is awesome good news. Isn't it? A revelation of who God is. He loves because of who he is. It's incredible. The charge, however, though, and I want you to meditate on this, is that we are to love the same way. Husbands, you're to love your wife unconditionally. You're to love her when she messes up. You're to love her when she burns your dinner. You're to love her when she serves you bananas and beans. You know? Love her, love her, love her. Unconditionally, sacrificially. Those are good charges. I am told have taught those over the years and would agree with them. Wouldn't you? Good stuff. But sometimes in our efforts to understand the Bible, we get so caught up in its depth that we miss the obvious. And I believe this is one of those times. Look at the verse. Who does it say we are to love like? We are to love like Jesus. Sacrificially and unconditionally. But some questions here, gang. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? 
is God. He's infinite, eternal God. Isn't that right? Well, how does an infinite, eternal God love? With infinite, eternal love. What does that mean? That means, first of all, eternal. Eternal is a term of duration. It's a term of time. And we, of course, know that it is a time that never ends. Isn't that right? Well, of course, it's also a time that never began. That's where we get the phrase in the New Testament that Jesus loved us before the foundation of the world. Before we even existed, he loved us. You, you begin to meditate on that and blow the circuits. But trust you see it. But it's a love that never ends. That's the context I want you to get for our discussion. Secondly, infinite. Infinite is a term of depth. It's a term of quantity. A term of measurement. And the truth is, it's a time, it's a, it's a depth, it's a quantity that cannot be measured. To the question then, how much does God love me? The answer is, more than words can express. Now that is marvelous good news, isn't it? The bad news, however, is that you and I are called to love the same way. In fact, if you look at the verse there, Ephesians 5.25, it says, Love your wife. King James here says, Even as. Some references, some scriptures translate it like. The name of standard is the one I like. It says, Just as. Meaning in the very same way. You realize what that means. It means that if you're going to love your wife the way Christ loves the church, you must love her unconditionally. You must love her sacrificially. But begin to tap into this. It also means thirdly that you can never stop loving her. Amen. It's a thing of duration that goes on forever and ever. So Johnny, we love your wife at eleven fifty eight. Man, that's wonderful. But eleven fifty nine is coming. <laughs> See? You can never rest on your laurels, step back and say, There, I have loved her. Because the very next moment is coming. Do you see that? Women, don't you just love this? Thirdly, it means you can never love her enough. Remember last week we looked at that list of 20 different ways to love your wife? Remember that? Number one on the list was listen to her. So you've done that, right, Tim? Listen to Debbie? You can always listen better. So you've had her, right, John? You can always hug her better. See? You can never rest on your nails. You can never love her enough. Now, I've got to give you a caution here, ladies. Please. This is not your job to make him pull this off. And we, this is what we did on the previous couple of sessions. If you begin to criticize and nag and complain, you're going to drive him right back into his little turtle shell that we talked about. Do you remember that? Men who hide, women who keep them hiding. That's not your job. Your job is to take up the role of influence. And the role of influence is the role that can win a husband without a world. And you do that primarily, ladies, through praise, through encouragement. 
So what happens is, is you come to your hubby and you say something like this, Oh, hubby, I appreciate you so much. You are such a good listener. You listen so much to me. I can really tell that you're interested in what I'm saying. Ladies, if you do that for us, you know what will happen? This is what will happen. We, we will become prolific listeners. Man, we'll hang on every wire to get that face. Do you hear me now? Like it, hear him? Loud and clear. And we'll wonder, we'll get great space inside, you know, for a tremendous vacuum. Water to hang on every wire to say, Honey, I'm, man, you're the greatest hugger. Man, I'm going to bust myself to argue. You see that? Ladies, your role, the role of influence. Don't try to force him to begin to pull these things off. The last parole will have nothing on this, right? <laughs> now I have a question. And I really need you to home in here. With all the messages I've heard on this issue of husband-wife role over the years, these have been the two main items. I wanted today to take you a little deeper. In a, in a way which really isn't all that much deeper, it's just letting the scripture say what it says, love like Jesus, who is infinite, eternal God. But we sometimes miss it. And so we talk about loving her with an infinite love and an internal love. Why is it so important that we begin to understand this? And let the text speak to us in all of its incredible charge and power. The reason why, beloved, is because we can fool ourselves into thinking that we can actually pull this off. You see, love unconditionally, we can do that sometimes, can't we? Do you sometimes, are you sometimes able to love unconditional habits? And, and sacrificially, we can do that somewhat. But when you and I are in the reality of this charge that we're to love with an infinite love and an eternal love, then we begin to realize the utter impossibility of fulfilling Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. We realize our utter inability. It drives us to Jesus. Because, beloved, the only one that can love like Jesus is Jesus. Rich Mullins has written a song called, Oh, It's Hard. Yes, it's hard. So hard. You know, it's hard to be like Jesus. You know, I love Rich Mullins' music, but Rich Mullins is wrong. It's not hard to be like Jesus, people. It's impossible. It was utterly impossible. We can't love like Him because He is God and we are not. And if we try to love like Him, we are in essence trying to be like God. Tell me, where have you heard that? Come on, Bible students, where have you heard that? In Genesis chapter 3. Where the temptation of Adam and the sin of Adam was Adam and his own resources and efforts tried to become like God. 
and the church beloved has been very good at pointing that out over the years but I don't believe the church has been very good at pointing it out in our lives today the sin and temptation to be like God continues today in a prolific manner I ask people when they come for help when they're frustrated and they're burning out in their Christian life and I ask them this question do you live the Christian life? And 90% of the time, you know what I hear? I try. And that's why the Christian life isn't working for them. Because you can't live the Christian life. The only one who's ever lived the Christian life is Jesus Christ. There's a movement that's sweeping our country. And I know that I'm going to get flack about this when I say this but if I'm going to be true to the call that we've been given you've got to say it the movement is called promise keepers now I'm going to tell you something dear people that is a wonderful ministry in a lot of ways it's a ministry that is calling men to be men it's calling men to come out of that little turtle shell and where they're distant workaholics and emotionless machines at home and it's calling them to be real and to be human beings and that's a good thing to do but having attendance and promise keepers things and having worked with men who come back from them I can also tell you that it is a very motivational encouragement oriented ministry there are a lot of vows there when you are making a vow, there is a lot of self-will, self-discipline, self-determination involved. And what's happening is that some of those men come back from those things and they burn themselves out. They've made the vow and the promise to love their wife like Jesus loves the church and then they come home and they try and they find that they can't do it. The quickest case of burnout I've had so far has been six weeks after attending one of those things. Now, to their credit, the one in Washington, D.C. sent a letter home with all the men that they were to open three days later. In the letter, it said, You've made some wonderful promises, but please understand you will not be able to keep a one of them without the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good. The fear I have, though, is that message does not need to be an afterthought in a letter. It needs to be the supreme message. And it's a tragic thing. And what's going to happen if that's not the supreme message is people are going to get hooked on the promise keepers. Because it's a recharge. You can't get 50,000 men together in a stadium singing praises to God and not have it affect your life. If it at least affects you emotionally. But we've studied emotions enough to know that they, they go up and down. And we need something more than that. Which is why God established this incredible thing called a new covenant. A lot of theologians over the years have called it a lot of different things. Hudson Taylor, a great missionary in China, called it the exchange life. A.W. Tozer called it the deeper life. 
Andrew Murray called it the higher life. I just love what the scriptures call it, the Christ life. Amen. The Jesus in you. And that's why he came to live in you. So that you could do what you could not do on your own. And my dear people, I went back and listened to old tapes that I've taught this passage before. I taught the lover sacrificially and the lover unconditionally. And I taught, try to love her with an infinite eternal love. Not even realizing what I'm saying. <laughs> I believe that one of the reasons God put men and women together is to drive us to the Christ life in us. One of the things that I wanted most of all in my, in my life was to love my wife. And I found that I just couldn't do it. Well, I could do it when she did it right. <laughs> but I couldn't do it when she didn't do it the way I thought she ought to do it. And please understand, my heart was to love her. But I found myself failing all the time. Began to understand Christ in me. That the only way to begin to love her is to admit that you first can't love her. Because that will drive you to Jesus. And you know something, beloved, that's really our only charge in the new covenant is to abide. It's our supreme goal. When you abide in Him, he will be living through you. What kind of life does he live? Pretty neat life. You see, beloved, one of the things I fear with this is that if you try, you are destined for failure, even if you're successful. Did you hear that? If you try to love like Jesus, if you try to live the Christian life, and you're pretty successful at it, you're destined for failure. See, if you're successful, you'll get a little prideful. You've got some good resources. You've got some strong will, a sharp mind, and some pretty stable emotions. You can really flesh it out. And in the process, you'll be more independent of God, and that's a tragedy because you'll never tap into the Jesus who's in you. If you're unsuccessful, you'll get frustrated and you'll burn out. In reality, these are the people that are closer to the truth. <laughs> because they're ready to hear about someone who can love better than they can. And I don't know, maybe this will speak to you, maybe it doesn't. But if this is happening, you know what I find a lot of people doing here? Praying, help me prayers. Father, help me to love Janet better. Anyway, I did that for years. Help me to love her better. Whatever, please hear this. God is not interested in helping you. Because if He helps you, you'll grow strong and you're more independent. So He's on an agenda of not helping you. Of doing you something that you cannot do to force you to Him. He brought me a life and said, Love her, like Jesus. I had to find out that I couldn't do that. And so now I don't say, Lord, help me love her anymore. 
But now I pray, Lord, I present myself to you as a living sacrifice for you to love her through me. And Romans 12, if you know the verse, says this is the only reasonable thing to do. We can't love, beloved. We need to learn to love. And even that's not true. We need to learn to release the love that's in us. My friend Tom Gordon puts it this way. Guys, you ought to write this down. A man can never be a husband until he is first a bride. Did you hear that? I mean, I'm thinking of incorporating that into my wedding ceremonies that I do. You can never be a husband until you are first a bride. We'll illustrate that and help you out a little bit. You can't be a husband over here. You won't be able to fulfill the charge. Only when you come under the umbrella of God and abide in God and He and you as Jesus has taught us in the New Testament will you be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, filled with love. Filled with love, the release of love. See, please, don't make the mistake of taking Ephesians 5.25 out of its context. Ephesians 5.25 is a direct result of verse 18 being filled with the Spirit. You cannot love your wife like Jesus apart from the filling of the Spirit. Same thing for the wife. You cannot submit to your husband without a filling of the Spirit. And I'm so glad for that phrase. You've got to be a bride, guys. The bride of Christ. Why? Because it removes the passivity thing. See, I have a responsibility in this. If I sit here and say, Okay, Lord, love Janet through me. What's going to happen? I'm going to grow cobwebs. Right? I had a great talk with Leslie this week. We were driving to school. Leslie's having a problem with a person in her life. And she says, This person is just so hard to love. I said, Sweetheart, that's why Jesus is inside you. And you need to trust Jesus to love this person through you. And she said, Well, can't he just love her for me? <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of people struggle, huh? It really is. It's not a passivity thing. It's not what... It's something I do believing that he's doing it through me. I've got to get out of that chair and turn off that football game, and I've got to go over and hug that girl, and I've got to say, do you want me to help you cook? See, I've got to do it. But I do it believing that he's doing it through me. It's a both and, not an either or. And that's a healthy tension of the New Testament. That's right where you need to be. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says, I labored more than any other apostle. Woo! What's he say right after that? Yet not I, but Christ through me. See that? Healthy tension. Healthy tension. And one other item I need to stress to you here doesn't mean you're going to do it right all the time. Bill Gillum gave this wonderful illustration based on cooking eggs. He says, you wake up in the morning, you just married, and wife likes sunny-side, unbroken yolk eggs. So who's going to cook those eggs? Gets out of bed, Father, here we go. I'm going to cook those eggs for my bride. And you crack the yolk, and you pour it up, and oh, the yolk breaks. The world says, failure. God says, failure. Then are totally independent of God. 
He goes the next morning. She wants those unbroken yolks. She wouldn't go. I'm going to do it. And you break open the yolk. And, oh, perfect egg. And the world says, success. God says, failure. Day three. She wants unbroken yolks. Here we go. Father, I, I just choose to abide in you. Without you, as John 15 says, I can do nothing. I am trusting by faith that you live in me. Now let's go cook some eggs. And you take the egg and you, oh, perfect. The world says, success. God says, success. Therefore, you know what's coming. You get out and father, biting in you. Here we go. Let's tackle the day. Here come the egg. Boom. Oh, break the yolk. The world says, failure. God says, because the key is the method. That's it. The method. Remember John chapter 6. Jesus said, I live of the Father. Even so now, you live of me. It's the method. And the method is faith. Faith plus your own will. The message, there it is. It's I can't, but I can't. Father, I can't love her, but I can with you inside me. But beloved, here's the key. If you don't realize the I can't, you'll never tap into the I can, which is the I am, which is in you. Nobody ever said I believe better than Bob George. Jesus Christ gave his life for you so that he could give his life to you so that he could live his life through you. Father, we need to learn this. Because love is a God. Love is not of Frank. Love is not of Steve or Deborah or David or TK, Kathy. Love is of God. Teach us, Father, of this marvelous Christ life which is in us. That we might love because we want to love, Father. And show us our own inability so that we will run to you and counteract the fall as we depend upon you for everything, Father. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.